Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. something we can help you out with. But as mentioned, we are doing this series, If, that we're going to look at today. And as we start off this morning, I'm going to make an assumption. And there's, it comes, it's a question, actually. And this is a question, I think, that we all find ourselves maybe asking at times. In fact, the basic motivation of why you're even here this morning is summed in this question. It's a fundamental question that, that you, is really important that I think we should all be asking at some point in our lives. This question that we ask is usually when we're on the edge of either a challenge we're facing, a problem, a situation, we're like, oh, what do we need to do? Or an opportunity, a crossroads that we find ourselves in that we ask this question. Now we're going to get to the question, but it's in the context of a passage of scripture an encounter that, that Jesus has that I want to look at today. And it's in Matthew's gospel. So I want to turn right away to it this morning. And it says this in Matthew chapter 14. When we read this, I want you to, I want you to find the question, okay? It's hunt for the question in this encounter. It says this, between 3 and 6 in the morning, Jesus came to them, came to his disciples, walking on the water. When his followers saw him walking on the water, they were afraid and they said, it's a ghost, cried in fear. But Jesus quickly spoke to them, have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, then command me to come out to you on the water. Jesus said, come, and Peter left the boat And walked on the water to Jesus. Do you hear the question in there? It is a question that we all ask at some point. Now some of you are pretty familiar with this passage of scripture. You you know it pretty well. And if you don't know, you don't go to church much. You you heard people say things like this. They say like, man, we're all in the same boat. (laughs) You've heard that. You know, you you heard, well, you just got to step out in faith. Or you hear somebody say, when, does he think he walks on water? If you heard those phrases before it comes from this passage, it's, it's pretty familiar always, but there's a question in there. It just struck me this last week. It's, it's, it's one of the if questions that we can ask ourselves is this, Lord, if it's you, Lord, if it's you, let me just ask you personally, right now, where you're at in your life, are you asking this question? Are you in a challenge? What is your Lord if, if it's you right now? What is that for you? Some of you say, well, not right now, but there has been. I tell you, if you don't know now, it will be. There will be a moment you're going to be on the edge in your life. Edge of decision, edge of a problem. What do I do? What do I do? Where do I turn to? Lord, is it? I'm going to know. Is it you? See, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of what ifs in life. We stand on the edge. What if I take this job? What if I go this direction in my business? What if I try to, we try to have another kid? What if we adopt a child? What if, we share, what if I share my problem with this person? What have you just heard? What if I join a small group? What if I actually host a group, open my home? What if, I, what if we plan a new church in the heart of Blaine, which is happening next month? All these what ifs are filled 
with one thing, and that is, it's risk. Risk. We find ourselves either we're, we're, we're making choices on that risk or we're forced to that moment on the edge where we have to do something. Some of us can feel like we're on the cutting edge or the, how about the ragged edge? We're faced to make a decision and all we want in that decision, all we're looking for is to actually get some confirmation. <laughs> to kind of, to, to know, Lord, if it's you, what do you want me to do? And here's the fundamental flaw in that confirmation. If it's not from asking the Lord, we're looking for one another to get that answered. I don't know about you. Do you find yourself, can I admit this as many times I, I, that, that I'm looking like, I'm looking for the answer that, that prayer is not always the first thing. You're thinking, ooh, pastor, he doesn't pray first. I do what you do sometimes. I'm looking for quick answers. I'm looking for people to confirm with, with, with what they think. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And the problem is this, what I just mentioned, we're all in the same boat. <laughs> We're all, the fatal flaw of getting that confirmation that someone outside of our circumstances, sometimes out of where we're at, we need to know. So we come to a place, we're dependent, and let's honestly say we're desperate at times, where we're on that edge and say, Lord, if it's you, Lord, are you really there, God? If so, what do you want me to do? And as I'm reading this, as Peter's on that edge with Jesus, and it struck me how fascinating it is that what Peter asked to do. Lord, if it's you, let me come out onto the water. And Jesus says, come. Now, maybe you heard that over and over, but it kind of struck me this week going, why did Peter think that that he could go do that? Have you thought of that before? Would that be your reaction? Like if if Jesus was, now granted, you got Jesus out on Birch Bay and he's walking on water, you're out in your crab, crab pot boat or whatever, and you're looking out there and you're going, is it, you know, but I don't think it was me. I would say, if that's you, Jesus, hey, can you get in the boat with us? <laughs> I don't think my reaction is going to be, I want to go, I want to go do, go out there. But, but that's the, that's interesting, isn't it? That was the reaction. The question, it was interesting, but it's a question that if we look deeper, it's really understanding and the discerning the will of God for all our lives. Why did Peter think that he could do what Jesus was doing out there. Why did he think he could do that? And why did Jesus let him do it and call him to do that? Well, you can sum it up in one word. It's, it's relationship. It's relationship. It's so, it's so basic. It, it, the, the danger is that we miss it. See, knowing God's will, you're going, what's God's will for my Lord, if it's you, what do I do? It's not a formula. It's not a strategy. God's will is not a puzzle to solve. It's not a mystery to discover. It's relationship. You can put it this way. Is this very simple. God reveals his will through relationship with us. God reveals himself through a relationship with us. You're like, I know this already. Do we really know that? Are we really experiencing that? But that's the plan. Very beginning. God created Adam and Eve. And after he created them, what did he want to do? He wanted to spend time with them. The Bible says he was looking for them in the cool of the day. You think of Moses on the mountaintop. It was, it was face-to-face with God. You think of times and all through the Old Testament where people were engaging and encountering God in some miraculous ways. But there was this, this something that, that God so desired for his people to walk with him. And then ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. The Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt 
among us. It's always been and always will be about relationship. See, it's interesting you think about when you, 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 some of you know this already. When you hear when Jesus says, come, that was not the only the first time that, that Peter heard those words. Peter heard come a couple years ago. It, you really could go back to some of the first encounters that Jesus had, Peter had with Jesus on the same body of water. So it was way back, and it takes way back, a few years before that. It was a typical fishing day. And, and, and was a, it was a bummer of a fishing day, actually, because the Bible says that Peter and his buddies were fishing all night and caught nothing. Some of you fishermen here and you got skunked. You're like, well, it was a wonderful time out on the boat, okay? Not a whole lot of action or catching anything. And that was, that was really their feeling. They're feeling defeated. And as they're feeling defeated and feeling low, some rabbi dude shows up in a white robe and says, uh, hey, can I get a ride? All right, well, okay. So they're out in the boat with, with Jesus, and, and Jesus says, hey, you caught anything? And obviously they're not that, Jesus, the boat's empty. There's no fish. And he says, well, why don't you just try the other side of the boat? I'm like, oh, like that's going to help. Like, what do you know? But this is what Peter says, because you say so, we will. And when, when they cast the, the nets on the other side, a massive amount of fish. It was all, all so much that they had to get other boats to help them. And, 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 and the Bible says, it's interesting, that, that Peter is overwhelmed, not by the, the load of fish, but he's convicted to the heart. He realizes this guy is not just some average rabbi guy. There's something special about him. And he's convicted to the heart. And he's humbled in such a way and broken in such a way. And then Jesus says this to Peter. And it's, you could call it his what-if moment. He extends this invitation. He says, Similar words, come, follow me, Jesus says, and I will send you to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. What I find intriguing is that Peter responded to that by the next verse. Listen to what it says. At once they, Peter and his fishing buddies, left their nets and followed him. At once. At once. Now that's fascinating as well. Not only that Jesus, you're out in the water and you say, come, I'll come and I'll do that. But they come follow me and they dropped everything and they went. Now, again, if, I, and I, I don't know what your work environment is, but imagine you're in the middle of your work shift and a guy, and sorry if you guys, if anybody has a man bun, I almost picture a guy with a man bun coming up and wearing kind of a cool, kind of a cool guru outfit, right? Comes up and says, Quit your nine-to-five job and come with me, and we will change the world. Imagine that in your workplace. You're like, who let this guy in? Someone call security, please. Okay, weirdo, right? In our context, that would be. But it's so important because you got to go. Why would they go? Because we read that and go, you start going, okay, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. You leave everything. Because it wasn't like they just dropped this, you know, they dropped their nets. And then all of us come back and go fishing the next day. No, what happened was, what did they do? They dropped their nets. Their nets were their livelihood. They, they, they left everything. Their boat, their nets, their tackle, their bait. Everything was left. And they went and followed Jesus, and we're thinking, well, is that what we're supposed to do? Is like quit our jobs, walk out on our family, and go move to Africa, right? They're like, whoa, back, back the truck up if you're thinking that today, okay? We're going to need to have some serious prayer uh, because there's a lot of things we need to talk about here because there is context here. But it all goes back. Why would 
Peter do that? It all goes back to relationship. See, when we study the Bible, we got to study in context. We got to look at the history. We got to look at the culture. We got to look back a little bit. What gave this reason that Peter would suddenly, even in the guys with him, that we live everything to follow this Jesus? Well, Jesus was a rabbi. You heard that. They, they, moments, they mentioned teacher. You don't even see teacher in scripture. It's this word rabbi. In the first century Israel, we got to go back to this culture. So why would he step out on the water? And if Jesus had come, why would he leave everything? Has everything to do with what it really means to follow as a disciple. Let me back up even farther. Little, stick with me on this. It could get a little technical. At six years old, Jewish boys and girls, they would start attending Torah school. On the very first day with that rabbi at the local synagogue, they would gather and they would give out slates, you know, little writing slates before paper, and they'd give us slates, and, and, the, and the rabbi would put honey on the, the slates. And they would have the children lick the honey off. Okay, that's tradition to do that. And the reason for that is to fulfill the scripture in Psalms 1. 19 says, how sweet are the words upon my taste, sweeter than honey. He, they wanted to teach, to, to learn and grow and de devour God's word. That was the first level. And the first level of education was called Beit Sefer. And this lasted till the child was about 10 years old. And after Beit Sefer, there was a little bit of weeding out where kids maybe didn't continue on and they got involved on the farm or wherever they're working, wherever they're doing. But what they did before that was, they had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, all five books. And we struggle our kids memorizing John 3.16, right? That's amazing. At five years old or at, at 10 years old, they do that. Now, those, some of those kids, most of the kids move on, but those are the, you know, the best kids, the, the, the smarter kids and more dedicated children. They look at them going, we got another level for you. And they would move on to what's called Beth Tamad. And this would be in their teen years. And they would memorize the entire Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi. Can you imagine? And by the end of, well, probably middle of their 14, 15 years old, most kids would move on. They would go on and they would, boys would start working with their father and whatever business they're doing and, and trade they have. Girls back then actually got married at that time and began a household and, and, and raising children. But the best of the best of the best would move on to this another level, which was called Beth McRash. And there the rabbi, is. this is where it gets really personal. He would invite them, the rabbi would invite that young man to come and be one of his disciples. See, the word disciple, when we think of it, it's not just being a student. It's not just to know what the teacher knows. But in the Hebrew culture, disciple meant much more than that. A disciple just didn't want to just know what the rabbi knows. A disciple would be, want to be like the rabbi. He would learn what the rabbi does and ultimately follow in the footsteps, literally, of this rabbi. And so the, the rabbi would take on what he would have already, which is his own teaching called a yoke. And it's not that he missed interpret the Bible at all. You actually take his, his way of looking at the Torah, his own way of thinking and applying it in his life based on his own experiences, his own personality, and he would have his, what the Bible, what, what this term called his yoke. He'd have his own yoke of teaching. Stick with me on this. When you're, when you, you're mentored in a certain way, 
you are mentored to take on your rabbi's yoke. Rabbi, you would do what the rabbi does and so really learn as he learns along the way. And what would happen is that the Jewish rabbi would then, to test them out, would grill that young apprentice. To, if he's going to be one of his followers, be a, apprentice, a rabbi apprentice, he would have be grilled not only knowing scripture, but oral traditions, uh, other Jewish customs and traditions that were there. And then the rabbi would do this. He would spread his yoke. He would place his yoke, his, his way of teaching upon this young man. If he felt like he was the guy that he could come follow him, that's what he would say. He says, come follow me. And that young man, instead of going off in the trade and doing other things, would drop everything, his family responsibilities as, as a boy, and he would go and he would follow that teacher, that rabbi. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so what you do is, what you, you do what the rabbi does, you go where the rabbi d- goes, and you would follow him. Literally, you can picture him going village to village and falling right behind his rabbi, almost that like his, the dust and the dirt of the road kind of flies on him. In fact, they had a, a saying back then was this, that may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. That was a blessing the, stage, the sages and the religious leaders would put upon you. May be covered in the, the, the dust of your rabbi. Can I tell you, no greater compliment than we can receive. And people say, see us and go, wow, look at the dust of your rabbi, Jesus, upon you. Well, this rabbi, about the age of 30, he would then form his own yoke, and then he would become a full-fledged rabbi. Now, how does this apply to to Christ? Think about this. Have you thought about this before? The Bible doesn't say anything about Jesus between the age 12 and age 30. You ever thought about that? You're like, whoa, he's working with Joseph in in in, in the workshop. No. Maybe. Maybe there's some things. And if you go to Israel, I don't want to blow your... Um, image of it all, but there's not a lot of wood in Israel. So when it talks about Jesus being a carpenter, he probably was a masonry. Just so you know, when you go there, like there's no a lot of trees around here. It was a lot of rocks built they used to build things. But even that, from 12 to 30, the Bible describes him in age 12 that he grow he grew in stature and favor in God and man. That's it. And then age 30, boom, there he is at his baptism. What's going on? You think maybe he was getting trained as a rabbi? You think all those years are not mentioned? Who trained Jesus? You thought about that before? Who who was Jesus' rabbi? Just wondering. But when Jesus came, this is so important, when Jesus came to to be a rabbi and to find his followers, who did he turn to? Not the best of the best of the best of the best. Jesus didn't turn to the Ivy League or the MIT. He found everyday commoners, rough and tough, blue collar fishermen. And, and he realized this, that if he's going to have a movement, it's not going to be from the elite. It's going to be a movement, not a matter if you're rich or poor. It's going to be a gang of, of anybody's that I choose there to be. And I love how later on, after everything happened and the church started, this is what is described of Jesus' followers. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that, don't you? These men have been been with Jesus. Doesn't it give you encouragement that you don't have to be the brightest, the coolest, the, the smartest, or the sexiest to be a disciple of Christ? All Jesus says, come and follow me and take my yoke. What does he mean by his yoke? It means his way of understanding his kingdom. 
It, it brings new meaning when you hear these words. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. For you will find rest for your souls. For my, so, my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. You, you read that and go, oh, Lord, I got burdens, I got pain, I got issues, and we give them all. That's good to do, but it means much more than that. It means to walk as Jesus walked, to, to take upon his way of life, his, his training, his understanding of the kingdom of God, to walk in his footsteps and discern and learn his will, because it's all about relationship. Get all that? Let me bring back to the boat. Back to the boat. Jesus, the rabbi, all these years they watched Jesus, they learned from him, modeled from him. And so when Peter responded to, when he saw Jesus out on the water, it was instinctive. Think about that. It was instinctive. He was just wanting to do what his rabbi does. If my rabbi's walking on water, guess what? I want to be like my rabbi. Now, I understand there's a massive step of faith, okay? But there was something within Peter had a bit of confidence that he could actually walk on water. It had to do with relationship. It had to do with the fact that when, when Jesus says, come, he just was obedient. Now, was he perfect in his obedience? No, look, look what happened. When Peter saw the wind and the waves had began, uh, uh, he became afraid and began to sink, he shouted, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. Jesus said, your faith is small. Why do you doubt? Peter, Peter here isn't, isn't that he, 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 he didn't believe in Jesus. He just kind of got a little distracted. Don't we all the time get distracted? We're, we're kind of doing really good for a while. We're following you, Lord. And then, whew, maybe Maybe we lose confidence in ourselves, or confidence in, in the circumstances or, or how about we get overconfident and we're, we'll look at us, how great we are, you know, and we, we sink. There's these moments that, that our eyes are off Jesus. But what's so powerful is that what happens is next is after they got in the boat, the wind became calm and those who were in the boat worshiped Jesus and said, truly you are the son of God. You get what's happening here? They're knowing and learning and growing watching and, and waiting out, literally going and following Jesus wherever he goes and whatever he's done. And then there's this revelation in a deeper way of who he really is. It says they worshiped him. They were walking and understanding that the will of God is revealed through relationship with him. Now, this is going to sound kind of heretical when I say it this way. You and I probably grown up and believe that we should believe in God. Oh, we should believe in God. Do you know, and Shane kind of hit on this this morning worship, that God believes in us. God loves us, but he believes in us, meaning that what he has given us, he's instilled within us to, to live out. It's not just that we would follow him as we do and continue to worship him, but he also has called us and has empowered us to do more. He is calling the what ifs out of our life. Yes, you're following me. Yes, you're doing everything I'm doing. You want to be like me. Guess what? You are even going to do greater things than me. And that was fulfilled for the disciples. Every rabbi wanted their apprentice to do greater things than they did in the previous generation. I think every dad and every mom looks at their kid and go, man, there's potential to say to do greater than I will do. And Jesus does that. Jesus does that. That's his heart. And listen to what he says. This is his last big speech before he goes to the cross. He says this, I tell you, 
the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's what happened after Jesus died, rose again, he ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit came. And what the greater work was this, that Jesus was not just going to dwell in us, that we'd follow him literally, but that Jesus by his spirit would be in us. That was his master apprentice program. That was his dream. That's the what if that Jesus had for these 12, well, minus one, average dudes in Galilee to be leading millions, and let's say two millenniums later, here we are. Here we are. And what's so powerful, and we've been looking in this If series in Romans 8 that I want to end with today. I want to read some scripture here as we close in a couple minutes. As we get to Romans 8, because it all fulfills what the Bible describes, and specifically Romans 8, the ifs that we're looking at today. It leads all to the greater that our rabbi Jesus wants for us. Romans chapter 8 says this, but if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is, is life because of righteousness, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give, you, give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. There's a couple really big ifs there. You could say these ifs are the ultimate ifs. If Christ is in you, that's the kicker right there. If Christ is in you, Jesus not only came to come and dwell with us, but ultimately says he came to dwell in us by his spirit. And that's us today. To think we can do greater things, yes, because Christ is still around. He's just not around us. He is in us. And it's interesting, if you're a big King James fan, you'll love me when I say this, when it says that, when it says you, you give life to your moral bodies, there's this word actually means quicken your moral bodies. You might be singing that old song, quicken your moral bodies, the spirit that's in you. That word quicken is so powerful. It's this idea of a, a firing a synapse of our brain. It's our reaction time. Just picture Peter. His reaction time was very quick. Lord, if it's you, come, let me come follow you. I'm going to go. That's reaction time. And there's something that quickened. When Christ is in you, he quickens us. And that quickening is like a, a twitch. It's you ever a moment where you kind of jump out of your seat or something happens? In fact, some of us, we have twitch muscles that get developed. If you're a runner or a sprinter, when the gun goes off, the quicker the twitch, the, the faster you're going to get down the field, you're probably going to, if you mix that moment, you're, you're done as a sprinter. And it's the same way emotionally for us. Uh, um, uh, James says this, quick to listen and slow to speak. That quick response we have. And you'll know in your twitch by your reaction emotionally how you're doing spiritually. And emo emotionally and spiritually. You know what I'm talking about? It, it's those moments in life. The split second moments that are kind of make it, break it. The moment you're insulted. The moment you're offended. How about this? The moment you're cut off in traffic. Oh man, you're like, don't go there, Right? Those are reaction times. And, and, and I'm wondering as followers of Christ, what is our spiritual reaction time when challenges come and moments and opportunities come? Where are we going to be? And there's a reaction time. And, and I tell you, there's moments and there can be lapses in those moments. Are we going to respond? And we need to. I tell you, you know, delayed obedience is still disobedience because you said that to your kids, didn't you? You've used that on your children. Delayed obedience is still, delayed obedience is, is disobedience. 
You know, when they didn't clean the room and you're like, oh, I'll do it later. That's disobedience, right? And God does the same thing with us. We'll say, God, later I'll do that. No, what's our reaction? If we're followers of Christ and we want to be like him. We want to follow as he follows. I picked up a great book by Jerry Stitzer. And Jerry, it's called The Will of God as a Way of Life. And what's powerful about this, it's really a tragic story. He lost three generations in a car accident. And when he was in the car, he was driving his, his mother, his wife, and his daughter. And you talk about reading a book about a guy trying to help us discern the will of God. Like, where is the will of God in that? But he has this quote that's pretty basic. I found so powerful for me. Knowing his story, he says this, instead of being presumptuous about our future, we should be attentive to God's will in the present. You're always thinking, what's ahead or what's next? Lord, what do I do? It's, it's not the future. Next week, we're going to talk about that, about worrying about the future. But what if God is in the future? It's fixing our eyes on the present. God's will in the present. Let me tell you this. Your reaction time is an understanding of God's will is tied back into relationship. It goes back to the boat. It goes back to that moment. Lord, is it you? Now, how do you know it's, it's, Lord, it's you? By recognizing his voice. When we're in the dark and we can't see and it's kind of fuzzy, Lord, is that, is that you? Is that you that's speaking? And he speaks through relationship with us to know his voice. Back in the day, there was a thing that what we didn't have was caller ID. Do you remember that? It was just a gamble. The phone would ring. And you, you remember that? Some of you older, you're like, okay, here we go. We have no idea. Uh, you can't block any calls back then. Uh, you just went for it. And I tell you, that, that it, it, you, when you picked up the phone and someone says, hi, how are you? And you recognize their voice. They don't have to say, this is mom or this is your son or daughter. You knew their voice. It's the same way with God. To know God's voice is in relationship with him. But to know God's voice and to know his, through his will is to know his word. See, the the whole, there's libraries filled with dead authors and dead, dead paper. They're books. But the Bible is alive. The Bible, it's described as the, the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It's alive and active. It's living and breathing. Every time we read the Bible, it's a little bit of resurrection. It quickens us to God's will. Lord, if it's you, we'll come. Well, how, will you, how do you know God's voice? You know God's voice by knowing his will. How do you know his will? It's through his word to listen, to listen to it. I want you to just listen to this here. Because there's times of weakness. Our Lord, am I hearing you? Am I understanding you? Listen to Romans 8. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The will of God. How do I know the will of God? By listening to his voice. Hearing his voice. How do I hear his voice? Through his word. I study the word. I meditate on it. I grow in it. I develop in knowing that through a relationship with him. As our team comes, I want to go back to that question. But I want to go back to this question, this for you. It's this. So is Christ in you. So is Christ in you. Because here is where it is. As disciples, we're not just to follow what Jesus tells us to do. That's number one. But we're not only to do what Jesus did, that's number two, but we are to be like him. The Bible says in Romans 8, 29, that we're conformed in the, to be conformed in the image of Christ. That's God's desire for us as we're formed and creating his image. But we're done, we do that through the spirit of God in us. 
Christ in us. Is Christ in you? Is he? Will you pray with me? That's an honest question to ask yourself today. Lord, are you in me? Is your spirit come and dwell in me? If you're here today and you're going, man, I don't know that. Know this, that the invitation to come is still available. The invitation to invite you into relationship with him is still available today. Yes, you're faced with some roadblocks or some challenges, some crossroads maybe. There's problems in your way. There's a decision you got to make. And yes, you want to seek and discern the will of God, but you will not know the will of God without a relationship with God himself. And he says, come follow me. Come step out with me. It's all about him. We're stepping towards him in relationship. And when we invite him in, what we're doing now is we're inviting him in our lives. To come and be Lord and change us and transform us from the inside out. If Christ is not in you and you want Christ to be in you this morning by his spirit, I want to pray for you. Could you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you today. If you say, man, I want Christ in me today. See you, buddy. It's good. Anybody else? See, if Christ's in you, game changer. Everything comes out of that. This morning, today, you might be here and saying, Lord, 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 if it's you, Lord, I don't know if it's you. I want to hear your voice. Be reminded it's through relationship. What's your plan of action this week? Lord, how am I going to spend time with you? How am I going to spend time in your word? Lord, may I be like those children that would just eat like honey off that slate that your word I could have and digest in me and consume your truth to change me and I can hear your voice. God, I, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity that we have. And even some hands were raised and others may not, but Lord, they're saying, Lord, I want you in my life. Come live in me by your spirit. Change me, transform me from the inside out. I want to be a follower of you. You are calling me to come to you. Lord, there's some here on the edge of the boat. They're wondering what the unknown's going to look like. It's dark, it's hazy, and we're not sure it's you. Lord, may we be just cultivating and hearing your voice this week through a relationship with you that we've absorbed in your word, we've absorbed in prayer, and hearing even with our small group and the people around what you're saying to us together as a church and as a body, Lord, that we lean in and follow you where you're at, Lord, into the great unknown, where you dwell. God, we pray that, God, as we step out, Lord, you're so faithful and so good to lead us and guide us. You won't let us sink. You won't let us fall when our eyes are fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray in Jesus' name.